0: It's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself.
1: We're gonna give that a a virality score of one, for instance. And this is, these numbers are totally pulled out out of the air, but you get the idea. And someone hitting reshare, for some reason reshare isn't super powerful on LinkedIn like it is on Twitter you know, retweeting someone is is the biggest compliment you can give someone on on Twitter, but on LinkedIn, resharing might be worth like three points. But when someone comments, it's like seven points. So the goal of every post that you put together should be, what can I say to get Hey, so excited to be here, Jess. Thanks so much for the invite.
0: Yeah. So things have been, things have been hopping for you since you were on here last. Can you give us an update on the business?
1: Yeah, we, so I've been,
0: we're six and a half years in
1: and I've been founder selling the whole time, which like anyone who knows me, I'm not a great sales guy. (laughs) So we hired a sales team to get that off of my plate. And that's been swimmingly awesome. We hired a CFO, brought a growth consultant on board and quadrupled the size of our account management team since the last episode I was on. So we are rocking and rolling firing on all cylinders. It feels real good.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm pretty obsessed these days with this book called hook point by Brendan Kane. And, and we had him on the show on Friday and I, I don't know. I just like, I am really, I feel like he puts a point on things of, of how many of us cannot figure out how to get people to stop the scroll on social to even pay attention in the first place. Right. And, sure. and he had some pretty good shout outs to you in, in his books. So, uh, congrats on that. He
1: did, yeah. So, so grateful to him. He's just been a, a, I mean, every every book he writes, he he comes to me and and asks for a, a quote or something. And man, I'm I'm glad he keeps coming back because his books are great.
0: <laughs> they really are, right? There's so many marketing books out, but he he really kind of cuts cuts through the noise for for people who maybe didn't catch the first episode or or if there's been updates. Can you give us some of the stats about? How many of like the biggest accounts on all of LinkedIn you've had their ads and how many millions of dollars of ads you've handled and this kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, totally. Uh we've spent over 135 million on LinkedIn ads at this point. We've we've managed and consulted for five of LinkedIn's top 10 spending accounts. I, I run the LinkedIn Ads Show podcast, which is the only podcast I'm aware of that you know is focused on LinkedIn ads, and it's that's a lot of fun. We're we were the the first and only ads agency to become linkedin partners so first certified and all that so that's you know, i'm i'm not good at bragging but that's the stuff i'm proud of
0: <laughs> that's great so what do you think what do you think are some of the rookie mistakes that people make with their linkedin ads
1: the rookie mistakes really come down to following linkedin's recommendations because LinkedIn's recommendations are are really not in your best interest for the most part. There are a few specifically. When you go and build your first campaign in LinkedIn and every subsequent campaign, they're going to put two options selected without asking you and if you don't know what you're doing, you're just going to say, "Oh, this is the default option, it must be the best." This kind of thing doesn't happen on Facebook. Like when when you just choose the defaults on Facebook, your campaign's going to perform okay on LinkedIn though they're going to check this box called enable audience expansion and it's pretty much carte blanche for them to stick all kinds of people in your audience that you didn't target and when you're paying the premium you are for LinkedIn traffic it, it never makes sense to like you know give LinkedIn the wheel and let it steer and the second is they start your the way you pay for a campaign uh, on what's called auto bidding and auto bidding it's it's like, anyway, it's the most expensive way to pay for traffic about 90% of the time. So they put you at a disadvantage if you don't know what you're doing just by by hopping in there. Those are the biggest mistakes I see.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, as we talked about before, I want you to come on repeatedly this year because I think you've got unique wisdom and the world has really woken up to LinkedIn in so many ways. I mean, if you count how many times somebody like you look at Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, one of the world's most prominent, prominent megaphone guys. <laughs> about talking about the advantage of social media and how brands can grow off it and how business to business can grow off it. And people who don't think about themselves as social media people can grow off it. Right. And the guy, I think he says two words more than any other. Maybe there's a third one now, but all year it's TikTok and LinkedIn. And maybe now you can add yes. Clubhouse. Okay. But, but he just, I mean, the guy is famous for getting on a platform when there is still organic reach to be had. And Yes. milking it and and really taking advantage of it and then being willing to adapt and go to something else when it's no longer giving him that price advantage in his favor right and yes. he's willing to make his mistakes he's willing to hop on vine or something like that maybe doesn't pan out because of how incredibly well twitter or google ads or these other things that he gets in on first and cheap do for him so when he when he has really preached to people who are not linkedin people linkedin 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 like Hundred fifty thousand times this year, and the millions of people that are listening to him, and he's not the only one, right? So many folks have realized this, and and I think I don't know about you. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts of, on why you think LinkedIn has become kind of the phenomenon it has. But I think there's, I think there's less people like me who treat it as a secondary email. Like I check it every day as my secondary email. I work with clients on it. I right, and but when I do look at the frequency of the people I'm on there, they are on more frequently than they used to be. What do you think is driving that?
1: Yeah, I think this is actually a pretty simple equation. Back in, I want to say it was like 2013 or 2014 or something. Facebook introduced what we refer to in social media as the algorithm. And what it did was it said, there's so many people publishing content here that there's too much that we can show to anyone, any one person. So we've got to prioritize and decide what we want to show. And when they did that, Organic reach, especially for companies, totally went away. And there were a lot of people who were like, man, I built my company on you know all this free organic reach, and now it's a pay-to-play model. So that worked on Facebook uh, to a marketer's disadvantage, but LinkedIn implemented nearly the same type of algorithm update, and it helped marketers. And so here's the difference. 100% of us are willing to post on Facebook. Like, we're not worried about publishing there. It's it's the place where you can say anything. But on LinkedIn, we always think twice or three times before we hit the publish button. Like, am I willing to, if I'm wrong, am I going to look stupid in front of my work colleagues or uh, potential partners and stuff? So we end up not publishing. So only 4% of people on LinkedIn will publish. But again, 100% of us need content in our feeds when we, we log in. And so... LinkedIn has to fill those people's feeds with something. And the way that they've chosen to do it is by content that is getting engagement. So let's say you publish something, you and I are connected. When I come and hit like, comment, or share, comments are the most powerful. So let's say I come and comment on your post. I'm your first level connection. So let's say you've got 5,000 of me. But then as soon as I comment, LinkedIn has not only shown it to your 5,000 connections, but then it's also shown it to, I don't know, let's say 10% of my connections who are on that day. And so you get this, this viral reach that cannot be had anywhere. And the fact that it is such valuable and premium traffic, because these are the, the richest people in the world. This is you know, where affluence and white collar uh, folks hang out and identify themselves. Uh, so it, it's a, a, great, a great thing for us until maybe more people start publishing, but until then, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says it's tons and tons of free attention.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the ad side of it for a minute, because like you said, for, for many of us in business, this is the, the most ideal audience, you know, LinkedIn has gathered that for us, right. Especially in the B2B world or, you know, high, high ticket sales type of type of sales. Right. So when you think about ads, it does take a different psychology. Maybe we can start with. Can you give people a little bit of education on what a typical Facebook ad or YouTube ad might cost versus a typical LinkedIn ad?
1: Yeah, Facebook is a really good analogy here. So uh, Facebook has all this targeting around someone's psychographics and interests, very much like a, a you know the the Holy Grail for business to consumer types of sales. but when when you start to push a business to business kind of offer, your targeting is a little bit fuzzier, and your costs go up. So you might pay somewhere between about $2 to $3 per click on Facebook, whereas on LinkedIn, if you're targeting somewhere in North America, especially English-speaking, we're paying on average $8 to $12 per click. So significant differences. Um, and, of course, the real value in LinkedIn is the quality. It's Your sales team isn't going to have to throw anyone out because your targeting was Perfect. Whereas on Facebook, they're gonna have to throw 90% of the leads out because they were mom and pops or tire kickers.
0: Yeah. So people who are considering even just that comparison right there, Hey, Facebook gives me a lot of targeting. Why, why might I choose Facebook and why might I choose LinkedIn for, you know, investment sales or real estate sales or B2B sales? What, what would be an argument either direction?
1: You know, I love the idea of starting where risk is the lowest. And on Facebook, since the cost per click is lower, your inherent risk is lower. So I would say definitely go start on Facebook. Try to target the people the very best you can. Give them your very best content and offers and and see what happens. And, you know, if you find that you're getting a lot of conversions, a lot of good traffic, but you have to disqualify a lot of the folks because they can't afford it or they're not qualified, in some way take a look at linkedin and go okay well if our if we disqualified, you know, 50% fewer of these people what would happen to our return on investment and if it would be up then i'd go cool i'd sure make a case for testing into linkedin and see if
0: if it's worth the additional cost yeah now for people who have really never done paid on social and maybe this was the year when everybody when everybody stayed home and stuck on their computer and they can't go to the business events where they normally met their clients, or they're not bumping into their their friends at the co-working space where they normally got their clients or whatever. And they've really had to consider becoming a more digital business, but they've literally never bought ads before. What are some basics? What are some just like literally one-on-one basics for for looking at LinkedIn ads?
1: Well, this one's really good to compare with Google because Google Ads were really the beginning of digital marketing, that end and search engine optimization. So with Google Ads, you can set a list of keywords where you say, if someone searches for this, then my product or my service is going to be really valuable to them. So I'll, I'll suggest that, I'll throw that up in front of them. And that works really well for a product that the market is really well defined. There is a keyword that everyone knows, and that's how they search for this product. So search ads like Google can work really well there. You also know that if someone is searching for what it is you do, you don't have to play any games. They came looking for your service. So you can send them right to a landing page that's like, hey, click here to talk to our sales guy. You know, that's that's the benefit there. The challenge with paid search like Google, the CEO can type the same word, at, the same keyword as the janitor and everything in between. And so if you're if your product is is a high ticket item uh, or requires a certain like level of authority or a certain size of budget, you'll find that like your Google search leads that come in, a, you're going to have to disqualify a whole bunch of them. They they won't be the right people. Versus LinkedIn, we target by who someone is, their job title, their level of seniority, their you know, department and company size and industry and, and the whole gamut. So we can make sure we're hitting exactly the right people. But the real trick is we can't do the thing we did with Google ads, which is like, let's cheat and send them right to a lead form. When you're on LinkedIn, you're on your way to do something. You're on a mission and it doesn't like, no one's on there going, oh man, I, I hope I find out about a new vendor I can do business with today. So what you have to do is bring them in with some kind of value first. Uh, and, and that might be, you know, download this free checklist or cheat sheet or this guide or join our webinar where we're going to teach you X, Y, and Z. Something like that, where they identify themselves to you, so you get the lead, and you're also building that no like and trust factor along the way. Uh, that's that's the big difference between search and social.
0: Yeah. So, and and I'm and I'm want to like go all the way like elementary school on this. I lo- I log into my LinkedIn account. Where do I even go to buy ads?
1: Yeah. First off, when you log into your LinkedIn account, it's helpful to see the ads to even see like. Where are they showing to you? Who's targeting you? And so it's going to dump you right in your newsfeed. If you scroll down to the second item in your newsfeed, that's an ad format called sponsored content. You'll see, it'll say the word promoted on it. It'll probably be from a company that uh, you are not currently following and and you'll get to see what that ad looks like. That's the one I would recommend starting with. So check that one out, uh, you know, get a feel for it. Then if you click in the upper right-hand corner, I think it's on the work icons, then there's a little target, a little arrow in target that says advertise. But I actually always get there by just going to linkedin.com forward slash ads. That's like the fastest way I've found to get there. But either which way you go, it'll let you create a free account and you don't have to spend a dime. You can go in and check out the different targeting make some mock ads, get a feel for what the platform offers and get comfortable before you ever put your credit card in.
0: Sure. So if today somebody is, you know, they're a CEO, they're investment fund manager, and they're saying like, I I think it's time for us. I think we should be doing this, but they're not the person on their team and they don't have someone currently on their team who specializes in this. What kind of decision tree would you use in helping them understand who to hire to help with that? And- you know what ratio of internal staff versus experts like you and and how to kind of weigh the, the cost-benefit analysis go in those different directions?
1: Yeah, brilliant question. I, and I'm certainly going to betray myself with, with my answer because I really do want to be objective here and not just like show for my own company. What we find is, you know, if you go internal, let, let's say you try to hire an employee who already has some experience with LinkedIn ads, they're hard to find. So you might not find someone who has those qualifications. So then you kind of go out a little bit and look for someone who has Facebook or Google experience that's willing to learn. And because LinkedIn is a tricky platform, it has all the same stuff. I, I, I won't say that. It's really similar to Facebook. And so you'd, you'd think everything works the same way, but it's a lot higher risk. And so, you know, if you, if you build that competency internally over the long run, it will cost you less overhead. But you will likely make a lot of expensive mistakes along the way to build that internal competency. Uh, if you end up going with uh, outside help like, like us, an agency that specializes, the nice thing is you cut through the whole learning curve, you jump right to uh, you know, some level of efficiency that can then be optimized from. And But it's essentially a hired gun at that point. Like You're getting great performance and then when, when you leave that agency and you're off trying to do it yourself, it can be a little bit of a challenge. We like to do a little bit of a hybrid approach where we bring on an account for a quarter or two, get it humming. And then when they bring someone in who has a little bit of experience, then they have us train that person on how to maintain performance. And um, that's the pros and cons I use.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about lead magnets and and what what you feel like examples of some of the most effective lead magnets you've seen have been.
1: Yeah. One of the very best, we worked with a company called Zant.ai. They used to be called insidesales.com if you've heard of them. And they came out with an infographic. They, they have all of this great call data and, and data from sales reps about like what subject lines got people to open sales emails and what, you know, how many, how many calls and what cadence of call and email do you do? So they had all this research. They put it together in an infographic that they called like the the six secrets to getting you know higher sales response rates or something like that. We were targeting the the most senior sales folks in the world. So we're we're talking like the Fortune 1000 VP and above of sales. These are really hard people to get a hold of. And we start showing this this asset to them and it didn't matter that the, the, the image that we had was just like our our point of contact at the company just takes a picture with his iPhone of his coworker. Didn't matter that the text was a little bit too long or, or anything else. The offer was so good that all of these salespeople went, yeah, I've got to know this. This is amazing information that I can pass to my sales team to increase our performance. So that was one of the best we've ever seen. They get converted at like 55%.
0: (laughs) Wow. Okay. So let's break that down a little bit. To me, there is, there's some original research there. There's a highly valuable insight that is not common knowledge what are other what are other aspects that somebody can pull out of that story
1: i think uniqueness is really helpful because if you've if if you see everyone using the same gartner stat then when someone hosts a webinar about that topic you go oh, i've probably heard it before like there, there might not be something new but when someone is giving you something that is unique. You've never heard of it before. This might be the only source for that. It kind of comes down to that original research, but like it, it's, it's powerful. It'll make you want to get in on that because otherwise your, your FOMO lights on fire. Your, your fear of missing out is strong.
0: Yeah, that's great. So, and again, baby steps here. I've signed up for my LinkedIn ads account. We maybe had some graph designers or somebody help with for instance an infographic that's got surprising original research that doesn't look like everything else in my in people's feeds right i'm uploading that there and then and then going through the steps and all the setting things what kind of language do you feel like th- th- thinking about that call to action language on something like this what's some guidance there
1: first of all linkedin people they're they're it, like we said they're in a hurry they're on their way to do something and they're not there to check out ads. So what you have to do is get your, get the point across, get the value to them or the pain point you solve out very quickly. So we like to keep our ads really short and get the pain point or that value out immediately in the first few words so that you can get people to stop and go, oh yeah, I do have that problem. What, you know, I, I want to hear more. We also find that because, especially if you have a lot of ad text, it's really daunting to want to read something that looks like a big wall of text. And so what you can do is use more like, like seventh grade language than college rhetoric. And so simplify your words, make it so, I mean, you're talking to really valuable people here. So obviously they have the vocabulary that you could go, you know, you could use your college language, but instead try to use, you know, sixth, seventh grade language so that it's super easy to scan and while they're scrolling down the page, they're getting the gist of it. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to have a strong call to action. Like you don't have to beat around the bush. You can say, download the infographic now or get this free cheat sheet that your team's gonna you know, really enjoy.
0: From there for conversions, I get somebody to download my ebook, my cheat sheet, my checklist, my whatever it is that I've given them that's actually something valuable. Any Any guidance for this person came from LinkedIn, they went for an asset like this, to, to kind of that next step of, of reeling them into
1: the boat. (laughs) Yeah. So many things. Uh, first off you should talk to the sales team. Uh, Like if you're running these ads, you got to talk to the sales team and show them this is who I'm targeting. And this is what the landing pages look like that we're sending people to. This is what they're, what we're offering them so that they can understand the frame of mind that these folks are in. And that way they're going to make better decisions about their approach. For instance, if, if you have a 40-page ebook, your sales team isn't going to want to call three seconds after they entered their info and ask them how they liked it because, you know, they haven't even made it past the first cover or, you know, the cover. <laughs> Unless you're, you have more than one cover. That's a different thing. Um, but then, you know, when they understand like, hey, we got to give these people time to consume. And if we know the material, we can ask them for their opinion and ask them questions about it to, to start that relationship. A, a good sales team is going to get between 10 to 20% of of people who've downloaded content on a on a call to you know either do a demo or or have some kind of a sales conversation so yeah you know, be ultra specific about your targeting make sure you're getting the most ideal customer and then have sales who has been enabled with the information about who they are to you know start reaching out and be a good resource
0: you know as you say that i'm immediately thinking of two books, The the Challenger Sale, that CEB book, and then The Trusted Advisor from like, you know, 20 years ago, that Harvard professor David Meister and his partners that wrote that, right? And to me, I think about like, you know, in The Challenger Sale where he says like, your people should be bringing some sort of insight to where the the target, you know, this prospect is going like, wow, they taught me so much about my business, I probably should have paid them a consulting hour for that, Right. So to me, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? If, you, if you've if you got like a one-two punch of like, first you give them something that they can't get elsewhere, valuable industry information they can't get elsewhere, right? Followed by a follow-up call with a rep who likely has something else highly valuable for their business that they don't know about, you know, right? To me, you kind of get that that one-two punch, the, the potential openness to kind of lower the guard, maybe invite you a little closer to their side of the negotiating table and and start earning start earning seats around the boardroom table closer to the trusted advisor table, right? And any thoughts oh. about a strategy like that?
1: Yeah, I think that's the stat that comes to mind is 70% of a buyer's research is done before they ever contact a vendor. And so if your salesperson is just going to, give them the same materials and facts and and info that they already found in their 70% of research, then like, you know, down the path of the challenger sale, you're not providing value. They're not going to go with you. They're going to go with someone who does teach them about their business and is a more like a consultant and less like a used car salesman.
0: Yeah. No, you know, I think one of the reasons I love that book, I I read a lot of sales books, but the one I like about that one is, This idea of systemizing it too, like, you know, you've got sales reps who've not been in the industry for 15 or 20 years. They're not going to naturally bring that insight. So how can we centralize that in the business? How can we, I should have the author of that book on the show, huh? So I can can tell him what a good book he wrote. But yes, you know, like centralizing that and having the company really put some horsepower behind coming up with insights that most of the people in our space don't have and then equipping those sales reps with it. But like having them really know it, not just regurgitating. My boss said to say this to you. You know, yeah. I can. I mean, I mean, I remember the first time ten years ago, I I filled out some HubSpot form, and the guy, somebody called me like five minutes later. Right, and yeah. the first time you're like, how'd you know? <laughs> and then later, you found out how. <laughs> but yeah. So okay, let, let's hear another story. What's another lead magnet that that? Uh, what's another story of somebody successful with their lead magnet?
1: Oh man, uh, I've got. I've got one that should not have been successful, but it totally was and it blew me away. Might make for at least an entertaining story. One of our clients was a a helicopter taxi service. So they wanted to be like the Uber of, of helicopters. And what they wanted to do was advertise to people in LA and Orange County, top executives, people who made that hour and a half each way commute every day and just lost so much from that. And they were offering them $250 per way helicopter rides. And- I told them, I'm, like, they want to offer these people an immediate, like, hey, buy this for $250 and, you know, fly uh, fly to work in, in you know, 20 minutes rather than an hour and a half. And I was like, it, it just won't work. The, these people, they don't know like and trust you yet. And you're asking for an immediate purchase. I mean, this goes against everything that I recommend. And we put it up and it converted like crazy. And I, I was totally proven wrong. And I love getting proven wrong because that means I got to learn something. So, you know, we talk about a content offer to get someone to know, like, and trust you first. That's the best way to do it 95% of the time, but maybe in an ultra disruptive market where there's late demand for your product or service, maybe you can be that 5% and just go right for the
0: kill. Interesting. Let's talk about webinars. I, again, I'm, I'm not much of a social media guy. Normally I'm, I'm trying to learn it more, but, but I am a LinkedIn guy. Yeah. I'm on my LinkedIn as much as I am my email, right? A uh, lot of webinars tell me about how to not have my webinar blend in with the other 10 I'm being offered.
1: Yeah, well, webinars, it really comes down to like specifics and not general types of information. And I'll give you an example here. One of our clients created this big report. It was like a 68 page document that detailed all the goings on in their industry. It was really good. And so we put up these uh, ads for a webinar that was like, hey, we're going to review this report and give you a, a like a, a whole download of your industry. And we were getting like, you know, 8 to 10% conversion rates, which, which isn't terrible, but like, it's, it's not great. And we went through that that report and on page 33, we found a stat. We're like, ooh, this is juicy. People haven't heard this before. And we started building ads around that stat. And it was like, hey, did you know that 33% of business professionals in this industry do X and Y and, you know, come find out why and more. And what we did is we took one tiny little piece of the webinar and we used that as bait to dangle and help them realize, wow, yeah, if there is this little nugget that sounds amazing, I want to hear all the other nuggets too. And so I think it comes down to that, the uniqueness, the original research and showing something that's like, you're actually going to teach them how to solve a real pain point. Or you're really going to satisfy a major curiosity that they've got, you know, a fundamental need to, to fix.
0: Yeah. So a little bit of a right turn here for a second. You know, LinkedIn's not new. I remember, I, I don't know, in the in the mid two thousands. So this had to be like maybe two thousand five. When did LinkedIn come out? Yeah. Yeah, so- I think I think it went
1: public in 05, and it was probably out in beta in like oh three so you were one of the early users
0: yeah i remember my buddy's my, my buddy's ceo friend was over and was telling us we got to get on this linkedin thing you know and i remember getting on it back in the day and and then i you know proceed not to use it for 10 years right but 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 when you think about how long linkedin has been around but hasn't really been as big a part of the conversation you know the press doesn't cover it like they cover twitter or something like this right and here you are Trying to build a business in a space that is a little misunderstood, that's kind of wonky to deal with, that has a perception of being expensive, right? And boring, <laughs> right? You know? So tell us some of the tactics you've used to become like, I mean, I know we're friends, but I hear your name in many, many audiobooks and other experts. Like you, you have, you've been able to become a high profile expert in the space. I wanna hear, I guess this is two questions. One, I want to hear strategies of how you built a business in something that you call boring, okay? And two, I want to talk about <laughs> any things that you feel like have worked for you to become a high-profile expert in the space.
1: Wow. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm totally as surprised as you that uh, I could become any sort of a, you know, authority when LinkedIn ads is my only specialty. When I very first started the company, I went to my wife and I was like, hey, there's a really good chance here that the, the niche, the market around LinkedIn ads help is not going to be enough to actually sustain our family. So like, let's give ourselves some runway. And, but I think what I really had going for me is sure. LinkedIn has never been sexy. It's, it's known as like the boring network, but I think that actually plays to its favor because you have uh, networks like MySpace and Friendster that were just like, you know, a, a roar, a yell, and then they just disappear and then Facebook supplants them and then TikTok gets. It. And so all of these platforms that are consumer focused, they're part of a fad. They, they rise and fall with popularity, but LinkedIn has never played that game. It's always been the resource for professionals and it's not battling anyone for attention. It's just, it's a, a solid resource. So it's always been kind of this quiet, uh, trustworthy hum in the background. So as soon as I started telling people about LinkedIn ads, I got responses that were like, oh, I didn't even know LinkedIn had ads, but I trust it. Like, I know that professionals are there. I know there's money there. I know it seems like a solid network. So that was pretty much every intro conversation I had for the first couple of years was, oh yeah, I I know LinkedIn, I trust it. Cool, let's hear about what kind of ad options they have.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can see some advantages of, you know, today I'm sure we could find like quick Google searches. We could come up with how many thousands of folks who will help you optimize your Instagram. You know, like there, there's there got to be no shortage on people to help you with your Instagram these days, right? It's so yes. sexy. It's where the sexy people are, blah, 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 right? So I'm guessing picking something slightly less popular played to your advantage. I, oh. think, I think the fact that it is your only thing is probably one of your biggest strengths because of that. Even if you knew the same amount plus you knew this much about two or three other platforms, the ability to get people to believe that would probably be lower is, is a guess that I have. I think, I think also you're like a pretty disarming guy. You're like really straightforward. There's not a lot of ego, right? That probably doesn't (laughs) work. But, but what other factors? So you, you, you are a specialist, you paid the price, you learned it, you, you went after the boring thing when everyone else was chasing the sexy. What else?
1: I think people are naturally going to gravitate to where there's the lowest hanging fruit. When I started out my career, I was in search engine optimization and I loved it and I went really deep and I specialized in technical search engine optimization and local search. But every time I would pitch a conference to speak or, you know, because I I love teaching and so I wanted to be in front of people. The answer I'd get is like, oh, there are 400 SEO experts that I know. Like, why would I take a chance on you? But as soon as I started saying, whoa, guys, LinkedIn ads is kind of a sleeper here. It's, it's a, a bit of a stealth value. People were like, oh, well, I've, I've never heard of that because LinkedIn ads have always been expensive. They were higher risk. And so people weren't gravitating towards it because the, the fruit was not hanging so low. So I think that really helped me. Like I, I spent $30 million on LinkedIn ads before I, it finally clicked. And I went, oh, I get it. So now I get to go and share those insights with people and help that fruit become a little bit lower. But, you know, it's one of those things that we've talked about the organic side of LinkedIn and and how easy it is to go viral. Go do a search and you'll find a whole cottage industry of LinkedIn profile experts and LinkedIn content trainers. But still, there's not a whole lot of people on the ad side because it is, it's, it's harder and didn't seem as advantageous as, you know. Facebook ads and Google ads that everyone.
0: Yeah. It is funny how expensive is such a relative word, right? Like, is it, is it expensive for, for ad shown? Is it expensive per conversion? Is it expensive per revenue generated? You know, cause depending which one of those use, like I gotta tell you, like just the time that I've known you and people like Josh Steinley and different folks, like you start finding out like, Oh, well, if you look at the whole life cycle of it, if you it, it may be really expensive, just like doing Google AdWords wrong. Really expensive like if you if you just leave the ticker going, you can drain a bank account super fast on Google AdWords, right? Oh yeah. So doing anything wrong is a bad idea, but like you said this one has that higher barrier to entry. Yet the the payoff, should you get it figured out, I mean, that that group I work with Josh we were helping those like super high-end CEOs get their books written, right? We've got folks on there who 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 grew their LinkedIn accounts, just followers from like 2,000 to 10,000 in just a few months by following come Josh's suggestions, right? To the point where yeah. this one woman's sales team said, could you please quit posting? We don't know what to do with all these leads. <laughs> like who in the, <laughs> what sales guy in the history of sales guys says that, right? Yes. But- It's such a, but it's such a high density of the right people when, when done well is can be extremely powerful. Right.
1: Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that example. Nothing makes me happier. We we lost a client one time because we generated too many leads. We were too efficient and we overburdened their sales team and they had to go on pause for a while. Like nothing makes me happier. I'm I'm happy to lose money because we did such, such a good job. We put ourselves out of work.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, talk to me about, tell me an insight about LinkedIn that not everybody knows.
1: Ooh, oh, that's a really good one. I'm trying to think of something like smart that <laughs> I, I can bring to the table. Let's go with this. A When, when someone interacts with your post, different ways that, that they interact mean more for the virality. So for instance, if if someone just hits like on your post, LinkedIn's algorithm is going to go, oh, that, that didn't take much work. There are a lot of people who hit like. It didn't take much, much effort. So we're going to give that a, a virality score of one, for instance. And this is, these numbers are totally pulled out out of the air, but you get the idea. And someone hitting reshare, for some reason reshare isn't super powerful on LinkedIn like it is on Twitter. Re, you know, retweeting someone is, is the biggest compliment you can give someone on, on Twitter, but on LinkedIn resharing might be worth like three points. But when someone comments, it's like seven points. So the goal of every post that you put together should be, what can I say to get someone to elicit a comment? Like I want them to take an action and that action is, is to comment. And that's how there are these people out there with, you know, 2000 connections have posts that get hundreds of thousands of views.
0: You know, do you know Shane Snow? He wrote Smart Cuts and Dream Teams that have been big, mega bestsellers. He started oh, Contently. I don't know. So. Do you know Contently? It's a, ah. They're like a $100 million tech firm in New York that can get you like a New York Times writer to come write your ebook for your corporation or whatever. Anyways, co-founder yeah. of that. I'm such a fan. He's a journalist, writes for like Wired and Fast Company. We did like a whole mini series with him on the show. And he's got like, I don't know, 450,000 followers on, on LinkedIn, right? And... <laughs> It was interesting for him to talk to me about like he kind of follows the Gary Vaynerchuk model of like, hey, what is LinkedIn putting out now and how do I do more of that? So he got he got, you know, he he was he was saying like video was a big thing, but but, you know, newsletters are what they're trying to promote now. So I do a newsletter and and he says, like, I have a list of my friends and I know like I know how to get some people to make some comments within like three to five minutes of it going live you know, and get this kind of momentum. And anyways, it's just those little tweaks yeah. that make a big, like such an outsized difference. At least it did yeah. him.
1: Yeah. And, and I've seen this over and over too. Like they, they have these these groups that they call pods uh, where it's, let's say a, a LinkedIn message group with, you know, 10 or 15 people in it. And you just, you just put a message out that's like, hey, I just posted this, you know, this article. If you wouldn't mind, come give it a comment, come give it a like. And like LinkedIn doesn't, like that, obviously it's, it's a little bit of, of kind of playing the algorithm, but boy, it works. Like when I've had, when I've been involved with pods and had people go and comment early, it made all the difference. I mean, some of my most viral posts came from that. I had one that got like 92,000 views on it. It was, it was a, me ranting about the Oxford comma. Like I, I love the Oxford comma for any of you writing geeks. And I, and I, I kind of, you know, ranted about it, why I love it so much and it got 92,000 views. It okay, wasn't about LinkedIn ads.
0: I'm an ADD yeah. I'm an ADD guy who can't spell. What's the Oxford comma?
1: Okay, cool. So in a list, if if you say I'm going to the store, the post office and the dentist, the Oxford comma is the third comma. So it's I'm going to I'm going to the office, the doctor, comma and and Is it the, the, the comma with the other dot above it. it? No no, it's it's the third comma in a series. And You'll you'll have some people who are like, well, you don't need to do comma and the dentist because it's a list. We understand you don't need that comma. And AP writing style says you don't need it. But I love it because it's clarity. There are certain sentences that if you didn't have the Oxford comma in, it would become unclear.
0: I should probably be paying you to proofread all my LinkedIn posts here, AJ, (laughs) because I don't think I've ever put an Oxford comma in anything I've ever written in my life. Okay. So, hey, it is. Okay. I'm interested. When you think about some of these ahas, you mentioned at, at after you'd spent 30 million in ads, you had a big aha. What, what do you feel like that was at that point?
1: For me, the clicking was understanding what are the the levers that you can pull to not only get great data out of LinkedIn ads, like understand insights about your audience that you couldn't get any other way and how to how to game LinkedIn's bidding algorithm to pay the least amount for each click that you got. So it was really that. A culmination of things where I understood how to bid and how to test and how to pivot. And, and when I found something that was working, how to capitalize on it and how to filter out the crap that wasn't working. That no. was kind of the big realization.
0: So, in the 100 million plus since then, what have been some of the other breakpoints at 50 million or at 90 million? Or do, do you remember any other like big ahas or where you started to feel differently I, about I, it?
1: I, I love the times when I get pro, proven wrong. like. The, the helicopter example, I had a, a, a client early on who we were trying to, to get people to download eBooks and the eBooks looked fine to me. I mean, they weren't interesting to me, but they, they looked like they might've been interesting to HR professionals that they were targeting. And we just, we pulled every lever we could to try to figure out like, how can we get people to download these things? They're, they're, we're paying like 127 bucks per content download. That's just not sustainable. And then overnight, they came out with a, a new piece of content, and it was called the the definitive guide to onboarding. And we didn't do anything different with the ad text. We didn't do anything different with images. It was the offer. It really hit a pain point, and these HR professionals went crazy over it. And our cost per conversion went down, like you know, to a sixth of, of where it was before. And all of a sudden, now this is working. We, you know, it, it was producing enough that we could scale. So I think a lot of it is these little realizations along the way, little teeny paradigm shifts, the nuances of the platform that you know really get me going. So I haven't really thought of any like other Break big points. defining moments. Yeah.
0: yeah. Sure. Well, let's just talk in general. What else? 100, spend 130 million bucks. What are other things you learned doing that?
1: We find the best ways to target on LinkedIn. For instance, about Any persona that you gave me, I could figure out how to target them by their job title or by skills or by the groups that they're in. And then we also have, you know, company size and industry and and the list goes on and on. Sometimes we can even target by, like, it's a little bit broad, but what department and seniority they are. And Hmm. what we find is each one of those targeting types, even if you're hitting exactly the same person, they have a little bit different of a personality. So job title targeting, you're going to pay more for every click because it's so competitive. It's, you know, we we all understand job titles. So it's the first place we go. And uh, so it's more competitive and LinkedIn doesn't understand more than about 30% of job titles. So you have this little bit of diminished inventory that everyone's bidding on. So you're going to pay more, but they match that exact job title, which means it's going to be a really high quality lead. It's going to be exactly who you were going after versus skills, we can have 50 skills on our profile. And, you know, one of those 50 skills may not define you. But if I'm targeting you by that, then you know I might get cheaper costs per click, I might get access to a lot more audience, but the sales team might report back and say, "Ooh, quality on these isn't so good. We, we haven't gotten you know, nearly the same results that we got from the job titles campaign. So little understandings of what are you going after? What is valuable for you? Is it lower volume, but higher quality? Is it more volume and quality isn't as important and understanding all the ways to test?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm interested in any feedback. You know, we were the consulting firm my own. We were, I was having one of my experts teach operational excellence classes, Columbus, Ohio. We were this surgery center at a big giant hospital out there was hosting it. And and so they put in a few people, and then we invite folks from other big organizations, right? So pretty known job title, lean, continuous improvement, operational excellence—you know you so can have something in that. And what we did because we're we're cheap, or because we don't we didn't know how to do LinkedIn ads correctly, but we just went through LinkedIn Sales Navigator, you know, and looked looked for the state, looked for you know we wanted companies with with five to ten thousand people, and then we broke it out for ten thousand and up, kind of you know because those people have the budget to pay our inflated overpriced fees, right? So, and like we just built a list of like a thousand people with that in their job title and then went to Rocket Reach and downloaded all their emails so we could reach out to them directly. I know that's like super infantile compared to what you do, but, but anything that you think we're doing right or anything that you would tell us to improve on something like that?
1: Oh man, I, I think that strategy is great. Organic outreach on LinkedIn, although it's being horribly spammed right now, is if you can grow your business off of, doing it manually and it costs next to nothing. I think that's fantastic. You know, I grew my company from, from basically word of mouth and and sharing content, not advertising. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. However, when you're using LinkedIn organically to outreach like that, usually it's very time consuming. And so you, if well, you reach this
0: point. Yeah. You know, I should clarify. We use LinkedIn to find out who they were. Then we went to rocket reach to get their emails and emailed like MailChimp and these kind of, you know, so we could, we could do that more efficiently, but go on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the way that you did it is, is a lot more programmatic. It's a lot, a lot, a lot simpler, which is great. The majority of folks out there, we, them,
0: actually, we still had to go find them one by one. And my, you know, my couple of virtual assistants in the Philippines were helping and then somebody else had to approve them. So like there, there was definitely some manual parts to it.
1: Oh yeah. And that's time consuming. And there's also limits to the number of people that you can search for per day, visit their profiles, invite to connect, and so there's always this kind of an artificial limit that, that's keeping you from scaling too wide. But if you can fill the the session with the right people doing that, and it doesn't cost you an extra cent, it's just you know a little bit of your time and maybe a lot of VA's times, then I think that's great.
0: Well, and that's uh, as weird, soon as you hit because because yeah. I maxed out because again I'm like an obsessive guy, right? So I max out quick, mm-hmm. hence the reason I go pay for LinkedIn sales navigator. So when there I can search and search and search, but go on and like build a yeah. list, build and t- my target list. Go on.
1: Yeah. And sales navigator, the, the limit is about 75 connection requests per day. Uh, and so once you send over that, even a sales navigator account will get like okay. turned off.
0: You'll so I'll tell you what I did the there. <laughs> what I did there is yeah. I didn't connect. We literally just built the lists. So that we, I, you know, so we could build like hundreds in a day in a list. And then we, we literally just copy and pasted the list and into like a Google sheet. And we didn't, we didn't do the connection requests. So we wouldn't get maxed out because it would let us build an unlimited number in a list, which then again, <laughs> fortunately manually had to go, you know, the admin team had to go through and pick out the email for, you know, because it doesn't format right when you copy and paste like that. But we got, you know. Yeah a thousand ideal people's names in, in short order.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. I, I I wouldn't knock that, that process at all. How did it turn out? Like, you know, you reach out to a thousand people. How many did you get in the, in the event?
0: We were trying to fill, we, I think we were trying to put like 30 people in two different events and, and, and we did that. So we got people from the postal service and Air Canada and, you know, Charles Schwab and GE and, and we got great, we got great people in it and, and it hit our numbers. So maybe we should cool. open up, maybe we should open up a third or fourth one, see how many more we could have got. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I, you know, my feeling on it is
1: if you can do what you want to do organically on LinkedIn and it costs you next to nothing, then absolutely do it. At some point you'll hit a, a, a point of diminishing returns where either you can't scale more organically or taking the time uh, is it's not worth your time. All of a sudden ads become really attractive because yeah. these are running day and night. They're constantly in front of people when they're paying attention and bringing them in. So yeah, you know, ads are great when you scale, but for small stuff, absolutely. Like don't well, spend on ads.
0: And that's what I'm thinking of. Like for us, if we do this again, looking at it as like, do our experimentation that way, you know, do our experimentation that way. And then when we think we have some clue what we're doing, come back to you guys and have you help us with ads, you know?
1: Yeah. And the really cool part about that approach is you've already tested as a very much a one-to-one kind of approach. And so you know what kind of language gets people to respond, what they like, what they don't like. And so when you bring that data over into LinkedIn ads, you'll already know what to write in your ads and you'll start at a higher level than, than you would have otherwise.
0: Well, I I know we're kind of winding down on time. I have like so many more questions. Hence the reason we should just have you on like every month this year. Bring it on. (laughs) Okay. But let's start with this last one. Let's say I'm a a Ferrari dealership or I'm trying to sell an investment or it's like it doesn't have anything to do with their job title. It just so happens that I know my demographic is on LinkedIn. You know, maybe maybe I'm interested regionally, but besides that, I just want rich people. You know, I'm a new, completely newbie and I'm saying, AJ tell me tell me how we get ads in front of the right people who can buy my Ferrari or buy my investment.
1: Yeah, we actually do this quite a bit. Financial services are are one of those categories where it's technically B2C, but the people we're going after, we know they're they're wealthy. They they are, you know, in the upper crust of, of our socio-economic level. So, we've done this quite a few times with like several companies who we were were uh, had a series A raised and they were looking to raise a series B. And so we, we blast out ads to everyone in private equity and VC to kind of prime the pump for when. So this is the kinds of stuff you can do on LinkedIn that isn't straight up lead gen. And what we figure is if you're a, a C-level person at a company with at least 500 people, chances are you're you're making, you know, 200, 300K. VP and above at companies of, of 1,000 or more, It it starts to make a lot of sense if you, if you're a Ferrari dealer, show ads just to people who fit that demographic. Why not?
0: Well, it's a good point, right? Because, you know, maybe you're showing BMW ads to VPs, where you know, managing partner at private equity fund that has more than 50 staff, you can show Ferrari to, right? Exactly. Okay, that's interesting. I'm serious though. Let's have you. Let's have you come back on. Let's do some more LinkedIn lessons we'll call, maybe that'll be the name of the series LinkedIn lessons with AJ cool tell people the website and social and where, where to connect with you
1: Sure so if you search on LinkedIn for AJ Wilcox I'm um, pretty easy to find just make sure you customize your invite and say you heard me on Jess's show that way I'll, I'll know to make sure I accept it because there's there's a lot of spam that goes on there and our website is b2linked.com the letter B the number two and then the word linked. Dot com.
0: Okay. My favorite question of late, and this does not have to be LinkedIn related at all, but what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received?
1: Ooh, early on when I first started the company, I'd never started a company before. And, and there was a lot of fear for me. And I, I, I went thinking, I want to start this ad agency. And so I went and started talking to friends who also owned agencies and started talking to them about, Hey, do you want to partner on this with me? And I had two different friends dear friends who told me don't partner out of fear. They're like, could you do it yourself? And I was like, well, yeah, I could do it. But like, I want to share motivation. I want to share the blame if it doesn't work well. Like I, I want to share that because I'm afraid they were like, trust me, uh, don't partner out of fear, you know, go on uh, it, go at it yourself and hire employees where you need help. And that's turned out to be a lesson that has saved
0: me, you know, many,
1: many millions. <laughs>
0: Well, congratulations on that.
1: Thanks. (laughs)